Get in the action on the Action Addicts Podcast. No greater faction than the action movie scene. Get in the action on the Action Addicts Podcast. Your satisfaction, action on the silver screen. Hello ladies and gentlemen and welcome back! I'm your host Scott Wiley and you're listening to the Action Addicts Podcast where we're going to be getting into the action of a not forgotten film but certainly one that was not beloved and talked about in great detail as some other films that we've spoken about on this show. The film in question is Hansel and Gretel Witch Hunters which you likely already know because it's the title of the episode so you'll have clicked on it. And you will also see that our guest for today is Lindsay from the Schlock and Awe podcast. I'll let her introduce herself in a bit, but Lindsay was a great guest. We had an excellent conversation about how much we both loved this film. Uh, Lindsay actually picked this film. I say this at the end of the conversation, but we had a bunch of films that we were thinking about doing. But when she suggested doing Witch Hunters, I was like, you know what? I really like that film, and I don't think many other people are going to put it in their list of films that they want to talk about. So, uh, yeah, we're going to do that one. And if you guys like this conversation, be sure to make your voices known, because I have no doubt that Lindsay will be back. And, uh, yeah, I think whenever Lindsay's on, we're going to have a broad range of topics to talk about when it comes to films that aren't just 100% action just simply because of how much fun we had in this one talking about lots of other stuff. Surprisingly, though, I don't think we go very off-topic on this one. There might be a few points where we talk about what the state of films in general was like uh, during this particular film's release, but yeah, man, on the whole, I don't think we go off-topic for a big rant. Before I throw you over to the past me, there's uh, something I need to say because I keep forgetting to say it and I need to get better at saying it because, you know, we need to grow, we need to do these fun things that uh, companies need, and that is that. If you're listening to this podcast through, say, Apple Podcasts or Spotify or any kind of podcasting service where you have the ability to rate the podcast, review the podcast, tell the good people of that particular service what you think about the Action Addicts podcast, I would highly appreciate if you would take the time to do so. And I speak from experience when I say that I know it's a pain to review something because it's like, yeah, I like it, and uh, is that not good enough? And frankly, yeah, if you just want to write that, I would be thrilled. I do have some reviews uh, coming in from some people that uh, were very nice and kind and took some time out of their day to do so, but I feel like I'm, I need to say it in a few episodes every now and then because, to be honest, even I forget that it's a thing that can be done and unfortunately kind of needs to be done in order for the algorithms of how these platforms work to actually help push your podcast for people to listen. The vast majority of new people that find me find me because of my promotions on social media and through friends and sharing and I know that new people have found me mostly through Twitter 
or other podcasts, guests that have come on, and obviously that's a great way to grow. So sorry to bore you with the technical details of running a show, but I am at that point now where several people have reminded me that actually, yeah, I should probably get into the habit of condensing everything I just said down into something that goes along the lines of, if you enjoy the Action Addicts podcast, remember to like, rate, subscribe, leave a review, share it with your friends, and be sure to tell all the good people listening that you enjoyed the show. But, you know, something like that. I'll keep workshopping it. Either way, I'm going to throw you over to the past me now so you can hear what you came for. Hope you enjoy it, guys, and I'll see you in the outro for what's going to happen next week and previews of coming attractions. Later, guys! Okay, and we're here live in the room, unlike what you were just listening to, which was the intro recorded in the future. But how far in the future, I don't know. And we're here today joined by somebody else new, another person who lives in Melbourne, Australia. So this is the second time we're having to change time zones and get them all messed up. Introduce yourself, my friend, and tell us about yourself. Hi, I'm well, Lindsay, from, as uh, Scott said, from uh, Melbourne, um, where all the cool people are from, so which is why we keep getting asked to go podcasting. Um, I guess um, <laughs> I am from the God. There we go. I already um went the, took the wrong turn. I uh, no, I am the host of the Schlock and All podcast, uh, which is a double feature. Uh, which is just double feature. There, I just like to try and squeeze movies that should not belong together together, or just having different themes and everything like that, and just kind of pretend that I'm actually sitting in a movie theater, which I couldn't do in lockdown. Um. So that was my way of bringing the theatre back. But no, um, yeah, it's just a really fun podcast. I get to talk to a lot of great people and talk about a lot of double features. So that's kind of where I'm coming from. Excellent. So I've just, I've just got to ask now personally, because I don't know the answer to this question. Did you only start the slock and awe during lockdown then? Yes. I was out of my mind, stuck in a house, and um, decided how hard could a podcast actually be? Uh, which <laughs> I realized then had to edit, and then it went off. Then there was nearly tears, but um, me not being able to use Audacity. But it's yeah, and I'm still doing it, which is I don't. Well, I'm still doing it, and I'm still enjoying it, which I think says a lot. Um, it's just a, a way of talking to really great people like yourself and watching a whole bunch of movies that I never thought I would watch or want to watch or look at new perspective of new perspectives of so it's been absolutely great oh well there you go then there if 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 nothing else comes out of the pandemic at least we can have more podcasts in the world um that, that's much. good enough for me <laughs> yeah. and, and uh as i said in the previous couple of episodes folks mo- nine times out of ten the people coming on who have podcasts or podcasts i listen to and this is one of them so if you haven't although i imagine if you listen to me you probably already do but please go and listen to some episodes there will be some episodes there for your taste, I guarantee it. There's quite a lot to choose from, which is why it surprised me that you'd only started in the pandemic. But then I was thinking, actually, it's been going on for like three years. So really, it shouldn't really surprise me. Yeah, because um, yeah, it was quite early on in the pandemic, actually. So it's kind of, I'm even surprised by how long I've lasted with this. So, but I'm really enjoying it. And time is meaningless now. <laughs> it's just a sponge of, everything so um i could have been done it feels like i've been doing it for five minutes it feels like i've been doing it for five years <laughs> uh wibbly wobbly timey wimey good stuff exactly
<sighs> anyway, today we're not going on a tangent about Doctor Who. Today we're going to be talking about Hansel and Gretel Witch Hunters, which uh, didn't get the best reception when it released, I think is fair to say. Oh, no. I was actually reading some of the reviews from the time, and wow, people did not like this movie. <laughs> wow, 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 wow. I, I will say, and I'm... I'm talking from memory because i didn't actually go back and look it up but i remember i loved this film when it came out i remember a lot of the people like my dad um my family and some of my friends really liked this film and we couldn't understand how it had flopped however when i looked into it properly it actually really only flopped in america in europe it actually did really well and the Hmm. reviews were much more favorable And I remember reading an article, and I don't remember where it was, but it was basically saying that it was a great case for the fact that Americans don't know European folklore and fantasy. Or their sense of humor. Well, yes, the humor as well, Hmm. um, because there's there's another case that I could make for that. But um, it is just one of those things where I think that even though we speak the same language in inverted commas. There is such a difference in culture between the UK, Australia and America. And I just think that they didn't get it and they didn't understand it. And it wasn't the sort of fantasy that they're used to. So most people just didn't know what to make of it. Whereas when it came to Europe, um, it did really well. But as with a lot of American films, if it doesn't do well in America, who cares how much money it makes elsewhere? Who cares how much money it makes on home it, release? It didn't make money in our cinemas. Exactly. No, it didn't make money. Therefore, it's a flop. And then that's why you suddenly get the confusion of, wait, it's making money overseas. Yeah, there's other markets and other things. But no, I, I really think um, that you're right. There's a sort of a sense of humor that I think even as someone who lives in Australia, kind of get just because I grew up as much on British comedy that as I did on everything else as I did on American. And then, um, yeah, but especially I just don't think, yeah, you're right, I don't think they know their folklore. And that's kind of one of the things I love about Hansel and Gretel. Um, I remember thinking the trailer was dumb. I don't, I just have a memory of seeing it and going, oh, that doesn't look good. But then kind of hearing it again from people saying, Actually, it's not that bad. It's got these little moments in it that are actually kind of fun. Um, and then I think I saw it like a year later on DVD and just went, well, this is a hoot. <laughs> it's it's just really imaginative and it's got actual puppetry yeah. in it. And it's got all these other things that um, as a Muppet kid, I was just like going, and people didn't like this. No, this is a great movie. This is fun. This is everything I want in a witch fantasy, Scandinavian, uh, European, Scandi movie thing <laughs> yeah yeah no i agree uh, i remember seeing the trailer at the time and i had kind of was having the same thought originally because it kind of felt like oh um this was made during the period of time when everything had to have a dark gritty dark night reboot and everything is super serious and when i saw the trailer for yes. this i thought no why but then when I realized it was not a dark gritty remake of the story of Hansel and Gretel, their origin, it's actually, well, what would you do next? It's like, you've killed a witch. So now what? Well, be witch hunters. Why not? Um, that kind of interested exactly. me, but also the fact that, like you said, this film is very, very low on CGI and very high on practical effects and true uh, puppetry and animatronics. And even now that kind of makes it stand out 
a lot because there really aren't that many films I can put next to it and say, oh, yeah, it's like this one. Because unless you go all the way back to the 70s and the 80s, you're not going to find one. No, it's really got this cool labyrinth quality um, uh, and the and Jim Henson all over this movie. It really feels like that. The closest I can think of is maybe Hellboy 2, um, which, again, does that mixture between puppetry and CGI, but there's kind of this attempt to have this amazing Jim Henson world. Um, this is how much I know about puppetry. It all goes back to the Muppets but um, and Sesame Street. But it does have that kind of real, and it feels more imaginative. I don't know why when you've got animatronics and puppetry instead of a CGI creature, it feels more imaginative, and I can't put my finger on exactly why. Um, and it also could be because you're very much dealing with um, very grim fairy tale-esque kind of nature to the feel of the movie as well. It just has this, it feels more imaginative. You're actually going into the world of magic um, because they did actually make a troll and make him move yes. and made his eyes move. And people are reacting to that, not a thing on a, a tennis ball on top of a thing. Yeah. Um, so it's got this kind of magical quality that yet you can't really compare to anything else. So, um, first of all, yes, uh, having practical stuff there for an actor to actually react to is a big part of, I think, why even if you know that what you're looking at is a puppet, a Muppet, whatever, um, it doesn't matter. It works a lot better than 90% of CGI. There are exceptions, but nine times out of 10, practical works better. Mm. But the other thing is... As somebody that studied animation at university, um, I had this conversation with someone the other day when they there was this big thread on Twitter about the original Terminator and why does it freak them out so much? Like, why is the first Terminator, when he becomes pure endoskeleton, scare them so much? Mm. And the answer is, is because it's in stop motion. And all stop motion tends to make people feel a bit unsettled and a bit freaked out. Not everybody, but the vast majority of people mm. will feel that way. And the reason is, is because most of stop motion animation isn't done by a machine it's done by a human and no matter how good we do it we can't make it move smoothly so the frames per second as everything is jittering along it will inevitably skip and not look quite right which in your brain associates with the thing that skitters like a spider or something that has multiple legs so it triggers your brain to go i don't really like this it's unsettling it's going to suddenly just flash at me or jump at me so it it puts you on Mm. edge but when you're doing it in like a scary movie which terminator one at the very least is or something that's more horror-esque that's exactly what you want you want your audience to be unsettled and on edge no, I, that is that is a really good point. I didn't think of that because I knew there was someone who was going, who was, I don't know if they did or maybe they did. We're going to try and re-edit or smooth out Ray Harryhausen movies. And it was just like, no, why are you doing that? Um, but I think it's because of that reason, because every time you're watching these um, stop motion creatures, which he did a lot of, um, they are going to skip and be unnerving. So you're trying to smooth them out and be more palatable. But the whole point of Ray Harryhausen movies is that everything feels on edge. Everything feels t- uh, tactile and everything like that. But yeah, you want, yeah, cause you're right. The Terminator, first Terminator is far more creepier than any of the others because you do have that stop motion. Um, I hadn't even thought of that from that perspective, but that is an amazing point. Yeah. Um, uh, it's one of those things that, again, a lot of this stuff you don't really think about, but then once you know it, it feels obvious but it's like, you know, mm. Jason and the Argonauts, which has the first stop motion with the skeletons coming up and fighting, that scene still holds up, even though the rest of the film maybe doesn't. 
purely because it's practical. And that's how I felt re-watching Hansel and Gretel, which came out yeah. 10 years ago, almost, or I think. And Yeah, 2013, yeah. yeah. And it, it still could have been made yesterday because 90% of it was all practical. It doesn't age. Yeah, I watch, uh, uh, and I hate to pick on them, a uh, Marvel film from five years ago, and the CGI already looks like it's not holding up because it, you know what I mean? Yeah, CGI either has to be really bad that I feel nostalgic for it, like anything made from 1998, I'm looking at you deep rising, um, <laughs> or that I feel so nostalgic for that bad CGI, or it has to be completely fresh and new. Um, and that is not to say that there aren't going to be movies that I think would use CGI really well and that will still always um, hold up. Um, but it's all done, but it has to be done in a very specific way and done sort of very naturally. But yeah, you can watch um, movie, uh, Marvel movies or any kind of CGI, even um, I was watching the 2014 Godzilla. And even though the CGI is very good in that, I can still see the cracks a little bit. Um, and when you're dealing with Godzilla, I don't want to see the cracks on Godzilla. I want to see just Godzilla. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, for me, the, the easiest one that I think most people can agree on, even though I know there are some strange people that don't, is people still get freaked out by The Thing from the 80s, but nobody cares about the remake, The Thing, which was entirely CGI. Yeah, and the sad thing is they were going to go practical and did, and then someone, it just I don't know if it was because it didn't work or the studio decided that they wanted to go CGI, so they had to redo a lot of it, and it sucks because I think if it was, you're right, you still look at the thing and you're like, oh my, it's still, you've got to be fucking kidding me, it's still an amazing scene because you're watching a head with arms coming out, crawling across the room, and they did that. <laughs> they actually built a thing and did that. Yep. <laughs> it's the same as like... um. The Little Shop of Horrors, they've built, you know, this massive Audrey puppet and had like 150 people manning it, slowed down the frames yeah. and then had to have the actors move in slow motion or as best as they could and then sped up all the footage. And again, if you just watch the film, I'll bet you 90% of people who watched it, including me, I think, when I first watched it, assumed it was CGI mm. because how can you get a puppet thing to move like that? And it's like, well, it can be done. It just takes a lot of time, effort, patience, and planning. It does, and lots of patience and a lot of planning. Um, when I found out the blob was actually a fabric, um, I was like, no, it's not. Yeah. <laughs> you actually found a sentient alien blob and made it kill people and you put it on film. I, I was just getting my head wrapped around the fact that, wait, they actually just, that's fabric? <laughs> no, that's, I don't know how, I still don't have any clue now some of those effects were done um and it's still mind-boggling and that is like Hansel and Gretel when you're watching it it literally is taking you to this fairy tale world um that is completely self-contained doesn't has its own rules um it doesn't really belong in any kind of it's recognizable world but at the same time it's so self-contained that again I can see sort of people going but this makes no sense why do they have guns it's like because they're freaking Hansel and Gretel they're gonna shoot cannons of witches yeah pretty much um I will also say just before we move we, we move on from the effects completely, uh, I actually mm -hmm. had the greatest ju um, justification as to whether or not it's practical or CGI uh, when I went and saw Ghostbusters Afterlife in the cinemas because yeah. there was a group of kids. Well, there were there were a lot of kids, but there was a few kids in front of us specifically, and um, all of the CGI ghosts 
got no reaction. Like some, they thought it was cool. Like they they were excited, mm. but they didn't really react to them. However, when the practical effect devil dog showed up, every single kid in the cinema was scared, and they were like, "Oh, I don't like this. I don't like this." And I was like, "Yes, thank you. There you go. That's the reaction that all of these ghosts are supposed to give you." Yes, and that is exactly what every kid had when they first watched that first Ghostbusters. I know I did. Even the librarian at the beginning of Ghostbusters, mm. I was like, "Oh no, 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 no." <laughs> anyway, but uh, going back to what you were saying, yes, that the the weird sort of almost but not steampunk aesthetic that their weapons have. Mm. And the setting has is a tad weird, but at the same time, if that's the part you're complaining about, I would also stress we're watching a film where witches are real, that trolls are real. The fact that some humans that have experience with witches would invent ways to kill them that are better than what the technology was at the time, really, I don't find that far-fetched. No, I don't at all. I do like this is they... He, uh... Tommy, I can't even going to, I'm going to butcher his name, so I'm not going to say it, um, kind of does, say, yes, um, he creates this kind of whole kind of world. It has rules. It has, yeah, I mean, I love um, all the details about the sugar sickness, and this is a world where you do actually have a gingerbread house. Um, this is kind of Grimm's come to life, and it's a little bit more bloody, a little bit more violent, um, and witches are completely real in the sense of the, old hag who can fly on a broom and kidnap children and create spells this is not um this is not the witch the the witch um where you have this very realistic setting um this is a this is a fairy tale and i like how they kind of keep to those fairy tale rules um so yeah if you're having a problem with that then well it's not the movie for you because you've just got to let yourself i'm in this world and i'm gonna have a blast with it yeah um, and speaking of the world itself, at, at the very beginning of the film, you see the traditional story sort of of what happens to Hansel and Gretel and that they go into the candy house and they manage to defeat the witch that was going to eat them. And basically, that's where the story traditionally would end. But this is actually the beginning of this story. And then we get a nice little montage of newspaper clippings of how these kids basically start getting themselves into more situations where they're up against other witches and they win and they save other kids. They save towns. The older they get, the bigger the things they do. And eventually we join them as they're both adults and they're both known as witch hunters. And they come into a town that is frankly gripped by hysteria and fear and is literally about to kill a woman with no proof or evidence that she was a witch. Um, sadly, not a fantasy element of the film, as anyone who knows their history is aware uh, but they save yes. her, and that's kind of what sparks the whole thing off, is they have this confrontation with the sheriff character, and they promise to bring back all of this town's missing kids, and that's where the story begins. Yes. Um, no, I love if you need a skeezy sheriff, you get Peter Stormare, and he's like, yep, I'll do it, this is great. Um, and he does it well. No, um, I love the beginning of this. Um, that house looks delicious, <laughs> the witch's house. Um just the way it's colored, I don't know. I'd be like, yeah, I'd, I'd totally eat it, that. It looks like a giant um, cake. It really does because I always had the thing of the gingerbread, um, made of gingerbread, but it actually just looks like a giant like red velvet cake. And I'm like, yes, I would totally eat that house. I would not be like those kids and go, I, I have second thoughts. Like, no, I'd, I'd be, I'd be in there. 
Um, but no, I like how it does transition to the actual, they're going to burn this young woman who they have no proof as a witch. And I like how it kind of takes that, that is something that's very familiar because if you know anything about history, a lot of women have been um, uh, accused of witchcraft and have been killed because of it. And I do like how they start off from that point and you're like, oh, I know what this is. And of course she's not a witch because um, a witch is going to look and yeah, and then you find out what an actual witch is, and they are these amazing creations of hags. They are absolutely amazing. Um, and uh, I'm not, she's a Finnish actor. I'm not going to say her name either. This is going to be me going, if it's not Jeremy Renner or Gemma Arterton, I will not be able to pronounce their names. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I actually did look at her, her up earlier because I was actually getting her confused with another actress whose name I'm also not going to hmm. try and pronounce. Um, but yes, I must admit, I, I, it is kind of funny. Uh, let me try that sentence again. It is kind of funny watching this film <laughs> today because, or yesterday rather, because um, I have recently watched The King's Man. And of course, Gemma Arterton is in that as well. And I had totally spaced. Oh, I still need to see uh, this. Yeah. So I, I had totally spaced that it was the same actress. And I really liked Gemma Arterton in this role back when I first watched it. I like a couple hmm. of the other films that she did. And I kind of feel like, she was in a lot of films, like sort of 2009 to 2014, and then it feels like she kind of disappeared. And then I was looking her up her IMDb, and I was like, "Oh no, no, she's still been doing stuff. It just feels like it's not been breaking through." Whereas and now, and then she just randomly appears in The King's Man, and I was like, "Oh, excellent, she's back!" But now she's actually no, sounding it, like herself using her British accent. <laughs> yeah, I like Gemma um, Addison a lot. Um, I think they were she was they were trying to oh she was trying to put into a lot of sort of action kind of movies like this and the prince of persia which from memory isn't as good as this um uh, but no. i need to maybe rewatch. no um and it didn't quite work and then i think she's a lot of indie stuff um and now she's coming back again which i think is great because i think that yeah she's she's a, she is a really good um actor but i think she was just doing a lot of small indie dramas when i was looking up before because yeah. i know i enjoyed summerland but that is very not action that is the opposite of of action no, um, I, I mean, I, I so, think for a lot of people over here, it was we the disappearance of Alice Creed was kind of what put her on the map, and that, uh, and yes. then, like you say, she went into this action sort of uh, avenue. But unfortunately, I mean, on paper, Hansel and Gretel, Witch Hunters, Prince of Persia, both of those should, oh, of course, they're going to be super fire mega hits. Yeah, no, exactly. No. <laughs> no. Um, but no, I'm glad that she's come back in the king's the king's man. Um, I'm because I need to get into action and actually finally watch that movie. Um, it's worth it. It's worth it. Oh, good because I don't love the sequel as much, but I do love Kingsman. Um, and yeah, and it's good to see that she's back in the back in the action realm because she's. I like it when she goes. She know she never goes big, but she has a really big presence. Is probably what I'm trying to say. Yes. No, I mean to be honest, when I watched this film in 2013, I kind of didn't really know well i'd seen a couple of things that Gemma was in but again a lot of the stuff hadn't really come out yet that i would later know her for and i remember being really confused because the film cannot seem to quite make up its mind whether hansel or gretel is the main character because i i remember thinking the first time i watched it that gretel was very much the main character but hansel was the advertising character because Jeremy Renner at that point was definitely the bigger actor of the two of them having been Hawkeye in the Avengers the year prior. 
Um, yes. And obviously, you know, Thor before that. But he does, it's, it's so weird because he does the narration at the beginning and the end of the film, like he is the main character. Mm. But I'd say a lot of the actual story is focused on Gretel and he just kind of has a side adventure at points where he's just off in the woods on his own. Um, and Gretel's actually... I do like when they're... Yeah, yeah, I like when they're off in the woods. It's like, oh, wait, Jeremy Renner needs something. No, I think you're right. I think it, the, the story, for the actual plot of the movie, it's all about Gemma Addison's um, Gretel. Um, she's the one that sort of becomes the focus. She's the one that kind of needs to um, kind of have the hero moment because she's the sort of chosen hero, kind of. But is um, Hansel's just kind of running around going, I'm in the forest too, quick, um, love interest. Um, but at the same time, those forest kind of shenanigans are some of the best parts of the movie. Um, well, actually, Gretel with um, the troll is amazing. Um, I love that relationship, that line when he just says, oh, I serve witches. And that's her first clue to go, hang on a minute. Yeah. Um, good old Edward. But yes, good old Edward. Um, Edward's great. Uh, and But you're right, it's... Um, Jim Arena feels like the muscle kind of in it, but not the actual heart, if that makes sense. Yeah, he's a really weird character because I completely agree. Mm. There are times in the film where it really does feel like she's the brains and then all she does is point her brother and he goes off and fights. But that's really not what happens because there are points in the film where he suddenly is like, oh no, he is almost just as smart as she is and he can work out stuff mm. with patterns and witchcraft and all this stuff. Mm. and. He definitely cannot be the muscle because I swear he loses every single fight he's in in this film. Um, I mean, she doesn't do much better, granted, but it's the one thing I did like is whenever they do fight witches, they don't win when they try and take them on one on one. They they always win once the two of them team up, essentially. Yeah. No, and it's kind of, it goes to the whole, I go back to the Hansel and Gretel kind of myth, is that they have to kind of trick the witch or push the witch, witch into the fire in the oven to begin with, and that's kind of carrying on the tradition of the fairy tale. And you're right, I mean, Jeremy Renner gets bashed into trees so often in this movie, it's um, almost becomes a running joke um, that a branch is snapping him in the, in the face again. But, yeah, you don't, it's when the characters start working together that they can actually start winning against the witches and i do like also how yeah i just like those two so i think he is kind of the brawn but he does know his stuff but i think gretel's a little bit smarter than he is but not by much because they work to get better as a team but she can sort of go hang on this what they're doing is weird and he's like well they're witches of course they're weird yeah i i think for me they're both as intelligent as each other i think the difference is she wants to explore. She's curious, whereas he's very much mm. like, I don't care if you take the heads off, they die either way. And like, mm. he doesn't, he yeah. does, he's not interested in learning about them. He's not interested in figuring out the grand plan. He just wants to kill them and get paid and move on to the next town. Yes, that is actually a very good point. He's like, an only, the only good witch is a dead witch, uh, which he, and yeah, you're right. Uh, Jim is a bit more. Well, what is actually going on here? What is you know what is happening? There's something actually strange happening with this town. That's just a bit more than a usual witch infestation, um, which there is because you know it's the, the blood harvest. Yes, um, which obviously leads us nicely into the probably the other main character in inverted commas, the grand witch, which you don't really get an introduction to, but it's Muriel, played by Famke Jansen. 
and I've probably butchered that pronunciation so I'm sorry Miss Jansen <laughs> but uh, I've, I've never like tried to pronounce her name and she's in so many films that I love. <laughs> she's she is and she's always amazing in those movies she's always one of my favorite um, parts but uh, no she's great she's a great high witch she just has this smirk on her face that is joyful malevolence almost i don't know how else to describe it when she's just kind of grinning at like jim and i going oh you have no idea what's happening do you and she just has this smirk on her face yeah. um it, it's it's kind of wonderful every time she's on screen the other thing i liked is if they'd cast a bigger actress and i don't mean that in a negative way she's a very big actress especially mm -hmm. at the time but i feel like the temptation would have been they gave her an excuse to not have to be in makeup and even though there are scenes where she's not in it, 80% of the film, she's in the makeup and in the behind the scenes, she was very much like, no, 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 you need to make me look like a disgusting witch. Like I'm supposed to be the grand witch, so I should look like the traditional mm -hmm. witch. Whereas there are so many actors today that also have to wear makeup for roles that they become famous for. And then they're like, mm -hmm. I don't want to do that anymore. I just want to look like me and pretend. <laughs> It's like, no, if you, yes. you've got to be the character. You can't just be like, oh, everyone knows that's what I look like. I'm just going to look like me now forevermore. I, yes, I know. I'm pretty sure it was actually Mike on your show saying you have actors and especially when they are as good looking as, say, Famke, you want to see them. But at the same time, this movie has a tone and it was I loved seeing her in the makeup. You could still tell it was her. I mean, she has cheekbones for days. So she's no, it's no mistaking who she is. Um, but you kind of got the feeling that she's just kind of pl playing around because the character is the bad guy. It's not, she doesn't necessarily have any higher, um, like a lot of bad guys, especially today, because we've already said, all oh, we hate all our Marvel bad guys. So can you please give them like, you know, something they always have to have like a, a point of view you're meant to get. She doesn't, she's a high witch. She's the, she's evil and she wants to kill children. That is all you kind of need to know about her. And so she can kind of have fun with the makeup and you feel that in there especially when she's fighting um i think right on toward the end it's she's amazing and yeah when she first comes up into the guys in the woods and then you just see her turn it's, it's a beautiful thing <laughs> yeah that i love that sequence in the woods because that um, i think it's that scene if you didn't know what type of film you were in for beforehand that sequence will have um made it very clear that this earns its older age rating because she mm. she goes full evil dead on them and uh she does. I, I love it because she literally rips a guy apart and there's blood everywhere and again it's not that an old of a film but it feels so different to films that get released today where you know people get filled with lead in their chest but heaven forbid a single drop of blood comes out of them when they get shot because that will put the age rating up <laughs> Exactly. You can't be putting the age rating up, or if you do put the age rating up, you have to even make it more violent than uh, Hansel and Gretel actually is. Um, I was sort of thinking, oh, I thought it was more violent, but I think I've been conditioned to watch like when you're watching a Deadpool or something, which is every five minutes, it's gore. Um, and then you're watching this, you're like, oh, yes, that's right. It's Well, they're all well-placed and they're all a good gag. It's very Evil Dead in that way. Um, and I couldn't help thinking of Evil Dead when I was um, – that a nightbreed when i was watching it it's got that really cool quality to mm -hmm. it uh, well i mean it also has a sequence with a tree um using its vines in inappropriate ways so it's not really surprising it really does <laughs> <laughs> it does. 
I was thinking that, like, oh, they had, yes, he, the, yes, the uh, makers of this movie have definitely seen Evil Dead and are definitely, um, the witches are very deadite in this. I do love uh, Famke's two assistants. Um, the, like, one with the little horns on her head um, is particularly particularly wonderful and really looks like a deadite. Yes. Um, and they run around like deadites because they're on, like, literally they're flying around on not broomsticks but twigs that look like broomsticks. It's kind of the whole thing. And, um yeah, it's got that sort of wonderful um, deadite quality to it and that energy. So it's, yeah, I, I love this movie a lot. Yeah, so um, we I, it also leads me to my favourite moment, which is um, that the, one of the guys gets left alive by her and then he <laughs> crawls his way back to town and he's like, oh, she killed them all. And uh, he then is like, oh, I've got a message for you. And the message is he explodes and covers everybody in the tavern with his blood and guts. And what I love so much about that scene is Jeremy Renner's character, Hansel, knows that's coming. that He's already worked it and out just... and he just pulls somebody in front of him that has no <laughs> clue what's going to happen. Whereas Gretel just stands there and takes it and couldn't care less that she's yeah. about to get covered couldn't in blood. <laughs> He just like wipes something off her face and just goes, oh, I fucking hate that one. Yeah. <laughs> I can't remember what the spell is. It's, yeah, it's just, oh, yes, these are people who have been exploded on many, many times. Yeah. But again. No, uh, yeah, I love that. I, I, I think it, it also goes to show, like you say, Hansel does have this knowledge. He just doesn't like sharing. Mm-hmm. So he, he knew straight away what was going to happen. And he was just like, yeah, whatever. Stand in front of me. I'm going to keep eating my soup. <laughs> yeah. No, he really does have that big brother energy when it comes to it because, yeah, he, he is, is just as smart as um, or nearly as smart as his sister, but he lets her take the lead, um, mainly because he knows she's so smart. But then he'll just do that, sometimes be a dickish big brother or the protective big brother, depending on when it's called for. And it, there it makes some nice moments between the two. And also most of the humor is him mocking her gently. It's It's quite nice. Yes. Um, and we also get the moment where they don't talk about their parents because, you know, they made a rule and he is always the one that's like, we don't talk about our parents, Gretel. You you know that. Mm. And uh, it's like, why? Why don't you talk about your parents? Because at that mm. point, we don't know. But there is like a little mystery throughout the film, sort of, that becomes clearer as it goes on about their relationship to their parents and what actually happened in the original fairy tale and why it happened. Mm. Yeah, I do actually like that touch. I think the first time I saw it, I thought, oh, okay, that's, I didn't love it as much, but I do love the mirroring of it. Like you get the traditional as in the parents just leave them in the woods and then they are are abandoned. And depending on which version of the fairy tale you've heard, but I think in the original, they're just, which probably happened quite a bit in um, the Grimm's brother's time, just can't afford your kids anymore, just leave them in the woods. Um, And I do like how that kind of mystery is kind of solved and it sort of goes all around into a much deeper mythology on the witches and the witches of this land. It's, um, it actually deepens it a bit more. And I'm like, oh, yeah, so this is what a, um, a white witch would do versus what a dark witch with um, the deadite witches would do. Yeah. Um, so we are jumping a bit all over the place in this one, guys. I do. But do that no, apologize. no, it's, it's fine because <laughs> I think it's easier with this particular film because uh, – Essentially, you find out just after the midpoint, I'd say, that their mother was a white witch and a grand white witch at that. So 
basically the entire original fairy tale was orchestrated by the grand dark witch that they're going up against now and um the townsfolk were manipulated into killing their mother because she was accused of witchcraft which technically was true just not the sort of witchcraft that was a problem and then they also killed their father because obviously you know how could he not know that she was a witch so they decided he was guilty by association and I'm sure if the kids had been there, they'd have killed them as well because, you know, be thorough, I guess, to quote Peacemaker. Um, exactly. But, you know, even though they lived a, a horrible, tough life, they did get to live and their parents died to try and make sure that they could. And that kind of changes their perspective on everything because one thing that I did forget to say at the very beginning that isn't really very clear but is in another way is... The reason why they were able to defeat that first witch and the reason why they're able to continue to defeat witches is because for some unbeknownst reason to everyone, witches' magic doesn't work on them. So Mm, um, one thing that becomes really clear early on is normal humans, even when they have guns, really don't stand a chance against witches because their spells just make guns completely pointless. They can deflect bullets. Mm. They can dodge bullets. I mean, the Grand Witch can basically turn into the flash and be anywhere in the blink of an eye so you're screwed um like i said she cast all these spells she can control trees she can control animals she makes one guy blow his own head off um which is actually Mm. a really great scene i really like that scene but the point they're trying to hammer home is these two are witch hunters and it's not like oh you know there are dozens of witch hunters there are but they have a very very low success rate whereas these two are unique because they have 100% success rate because witches can't cast spells on them, which basically makes them very scary white women with, you know, sticks. Yes. um, I do like the fact that they do bring in um, uh, Ben, who's kind of the fanboy. Um, And I like the fact that he's just like keeps collecting um, newspaper clippings or scrolls or whatever their version of it, of of their sort of adventures. And he knows everything about them because he's like, so why won't magic, uh, which is magic work on you exactly? A um, little bit creepy, but he's, he, I do like the character. Um, yeah. But I do like how they bring that in because you know that these guys are well-known because they keep killing witches and they've suddenly got this legend around them. And I think it works for the movie really, really well, um, especially at the beginning, which is one of my favourite moments because it's kind of daft in the best way, but when they kind of introduce themselves and Jim Adams like, I'm Gretel, and kind of puts her um, crossbow on her shoulder, and then I'm Hansel. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's very, yeah, it just adds to sort of the tongue-in-cheekness of it all, but also they know that they, they know they're famous, so they can just kind of ride along with it and know that they can get away with more than what other people can get away with coming into a village and headbutting Peter Stormare. <laughs> yes, yes. They don't exactly get off to a very good start with the sheriff. Um the sheriff is a very weird character because there's there's one scene in particular that we will talk about in great detail, I've no doubt. But before that scene, you kind of almost get the impression that he isn't a bad guy. Um, although he is the one that falsely accuses Mia of being a witch, he fervently believes that that is the case. He does genuinely think that these two are just taking the town for a ride and that they're not actually going to solve mm. anything. And it's like... Um, when Hansel goes in and they're trying to find the girl, the last girl that they realize the witches need, he's like, yes, of mm. course I know that family. I married them. Their files are in there, but it's only for members of the law. Like the way he comes across, he is very much like he cares about the people of the town 
and you know he he he's very conflicted about what he should actually do the problem is uh whenever he's faced with a tough moral decision he seems to consistently go down the wrong path of what he should actually do i mean the guys that we said earlier that uh famke jansen's character killed are only out there because he basically forced them to go out at night which is something even Hansel and Gretel won't do because at night the witches have yep. the advantage. Um, mm-hmm. Not that they ever really explain how, but apparently they do. Uh, so yeah. even like he just constantly keeps making the r- bad decisions. Like you say, he gets headbutted at the very beginning because he won't back down when Gretel tells him that Mia's not a witch because Hansel checked her over. Mm. There are signs. It's like, yeah, mm. he um, he represents a type of person that deep down you think that they they believe that they are doing the right thing but they just consistently ignore evidence and won't change their minds based on the new facts that come to light and like i say there is one scene where he no he ain't a good guy but until that point he i think he does a really good job of playing this guy that has the complete wrong end of the stick but you genuinely think wants to help no, I think you do, but I think he kind of is also a guy who likes being in charge and is kind of used to wielding his authority in a way. So as soon as it's challenged, he's like, no, 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 I'm the one who's in charge. I'm the one who's correct. And the fact that that is only the mayor that can go, no, 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 don't stop being a dumbass and listen to them. They know more about this subject than you do. Um, and stop accusing just any woman you spy as being a, um, being a witch which in terms of witch movies is a very popular trope that, that keeps coming up. But I do like the fact that, and every town has one, is that, yeah, the guy who's going to throw his authority around because he can. And, I yeah, but I do think you he thinks that he's right. Um, but just the way he goes about it is very boneheaded and very wrong, especially toward the end. <laughs> yes. Um, so essentially... There is a, a sequence where the town gets attacked by the witches. It's a really nice action sequence. There's a nice mix of practical effects and some good hand-to-hand fights. Jeremy Renner gets chucked around a lot and attempts to fight back, and he does a pretty decent job. And Gretel uh, has a face-off against the Grand Witch, which does not go well for her. But no, the end result of all of that is that the town blames Hansel and Gretel. And as you said... The mayor is trying to keep calm and the sheriff decides that he's had enough of being overruled because in his mind, every time he listens to the mayor, the situation gets worse. So he decides Mm. to just solve the problem by shooting him in the back of the head. And now there's no one that's higher up than him. So logic dictates problem solved. Everyone will listen to me again. Yes. And uh, that ain't the worst thing he tries to do. No, no, it's not. He really sort of goes, um, well, I'm in charge now. I can do anything I want. Um, but it's, yeah, you can tell, okay, and if I get rid of this mayor, then I can kind of fix the problem. But I don't know exactly what problem he. I think that he's, I know what he thinks he's fixing, but at the same time, it's not going to do anything actually constructive because you've still got um, the high witch and all the witches who are easily going to come back because, they need their six girls, six boys, and a and the the white witch, which um to do the to do the blood harvest. But it's yeah, he's just every time I'm like watch this movie, I'm like, I love the fact that it's Peter Stormare because I I enjoy him watching being an ass. But if it was anyone else, I think I would have would have found him irrit- the, that character really irritating. But yeah, um, they casted well because Peter Stormare was like, yeah, 
course he is. He's still here. <laughs> no, I mean, to be honest, I don't struggle with, well, I, I, I would still find them irritable. I agree, but not to the degree that he's shown in this film, but I unfortunately knew people like this. I mean, one I was related to um, where they think the logic that they're applying to a situation is correct. I mean, how could you possibly hmm. dispute it? And then when they tell you what that logic is, you're just like, what? Oh, on what planet does that make any level of sense? Mm. And uh, I'm I'm loath to give an example because it's it's too um uh, realistic and big for this podcast. But basically, I feel like this character very much encapsulates that sort of person, whereby the problems in this town are caused because we've got people that don't belong here coming into it, and if they left, the problems would leave as well. And you know the the uh, the counter argument of well the bad things are still going to come to you because the bad people are bad and it's like oh no 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 yes if, if we leave them alone they'll leave us alone why would they care about us and that's an argument mm. that i hear applied to a lot of things in real life where it's like yeah well if if we just weren't there if we pulled out of of a place then they won't do anything else. They'll they'll leave us alone. It will be peace in our time. And it's like, no, it won't. Mm. It really won't. No, no, it won't. It's not that simple. That won't solve anything. No. Yeah. That's what I mean. I think he does a really good job of of being that sort of person, like you say. Mm. No, you're right. And I think we've seen that kind of logic play over and over again, well, even longer than the last two years or five years or however, however long, especially with things sort of happening in the, in just in the world in general. Because there's always been that guy, um, no matter what situation you're in, who always seems to make things worse um, purely because, yeah, they think, oh, if we just do this one thing and if we take out these people who never should have belonged here in the first place, it will solve everything. But that's not actually dealing with the actual issue. And this is, that's him. And I mean, I love his nose um, uh, bandage <laughs> <laughs> in it. And the fact that, um, um, Jim Brownson always goes for the nose. I think that's 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 perfect. Um, especially when she pretty much bite nearly bites it off. Um, it's but yeah, and I think he does add this added, added extra wrinkle because you already have Famke Jensen and her witches. You don't necessarily need another bad guy, but I do like how you've got sort of the town politics kind of in there as well as this added thing that they also have to deal with um it kind of gives this added extra layer of oh again something else that you really recognize because as you said you know someone like peter stormare i've come definitely come across people like peter stormare so it's it's another recognizable thing to go oh i know that yes this is a fantastic world but that i definitely know that guy the, the funny thing is is if this had been set in an american town um he could still be the sheriff but the main difference would have been He'd have had a really southern drawl accent and he would have had a Bible in his right hand whenever he gave his speeches. Yes. That's literally the mm. only thing that was missing, I think, for certain people to see the obvious identifiable trait of who this character mm. was. And I don't mean that as a negative way to religion or anything like that, but it is the typical way that most people would manipulate a small town like this is, you know, God says that these people are bad. Therefore, if you don't also think they're bad, you yourself are bad. You don't want to be bad, do you? No. And even the British equivalent, I don't know why I'm thinking of Paddington too, but it's Peter Cabaldi in the street going, we don't want 
people coming into our street like Paddington because these are the rules and I'm right. And you're like, no, you're not. <laughs> it's Paddington. <Yeah. laughs> How dare you? Um, it's, but it's the same kind of thing. And that's more the British signifier of like, no, 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 there are rules or there are, um, I'm right because I have done the authority of the um, whatever neighborhood watch he thinks he's in charge of. So it's kind of, yeah, each country has their own signifiers. And I don't quite know what the Scandinavian, Norwegian, Swedish, one would be in that but i'm guessing it's more stormy yeah <laughs> what he is <laughs> yes and as you already said there is another scene where um we get introduced to another character sort of and i'm just going to quickly rewind because essentially while we have mentioned the witches a lot we've also mentioned edward the troll and ed doesn't really get much screen time up to this point he is seen um, he is the one that ferrets the children away while the witches cause all the mayhem and destruction, but he doesn't really seem that destructive himself. I mean, he looks like an absolute beast. You could tell he could clearly want to. Uh, so he could if he mm. wanted to. But um, the only thing we've really seen of him at this point is he feeds the children um, that have already been captured, and he pretty much is the dog's body of the witches. He does whatever they need him mm. to. But we haven't really seen much of him at that point. So... Uh, he is seen walking through the woods doing something. I don't think it really matters what he's doing, but he comes across mm. um, Gretel and the sheriff because this is, as I say, after the whole town has blamed Hansel and Gretel and uh, the entire deputy posse gets the drop on her and she's already in a bad state as it is because of the fact that the witches mm. just beat the crap out of her and uh they decide they're going to take some revenge for the earlier humiliations, but it doesn't really work because, as you say, she just ends up biting his nose nearly off. So uh, that <laughs> bit was funny, but then what happens uh, immediately after, not so much. Um, so for those of you who've seen the film, you probably know what secrets we're talking about. And if you haven't, you're an idiot while you're listening to us. But if you're never going to listen to the <laughs> film, um, uh, sorry, if you're never going to watch the film, not listen to it, I'd much rather you watch a film than just listen to him. That'd be weird. But... <laughs> You could listen to it, but you're going to be missing out on a lot of cool visuals. So it's it would make it more interesting. Yeah, but um, essentially, uh, Peter Stormare gets so pissed off with her attitude that he has this really creepy speech where he starts comparing her to breaking in a horse. And if you cannot work out where that's going at that point, I don't think you're on the same wavelength. But yeah, he it's pretty clear what he's implying is going to happen. And then if for those mm. people that couldn't work it out the rest of the deputies then start trying to rip off her clothes and he takes his belt off and at that point my favorite bit in the entire film happens which is that edward had been watching from the trees this entire time but completely ignoring him because from his point of view yeah it's a bunch of humans punching each other so what i don't care but then mm. when he works out what they're about to do even though he has no reason to intervene would it be an accurate description to say he gets a little bit angry? <laughs> um, yes, and you do not want to see Edward angry. Um, he does. He starts, uh, well, flinging people, breaking people, just kind of. Um, it's it, it's an amazing scene because it feels like he comes out from nowhere. Like because you're so involved in what's going to happen, you're like, oh no, okay, Stormy's finally really gone over overboard. Well, he's already killed the mayor, and now he's about to commit assault and then all of a sudden like Edward just comes in from like stage left being like holy crap well, what is he, he literally yeah. breaks through these massive oak trees like they're twigs 
And I love the reaction of all of the deputies in Stormare. And it's like they practically just shit themselves because they're like, oh, my God. And they don't even get as far as reacting before one of them is literally just squashed by Edward's fist. Yes. <laughs> they picks up a tree and just smashes them with it. And it's it's one of the most goriest sequences in the film. But um, it also made me think of the, I don't know if you've ever seen it, but um, in the documentary of the making of The Expendables that Stallone did, Inferno, there's a sequence where something similar is happening with some guards and the woman that's been kidnapped. And when he comes in, mm. that's the only part of the film where he kills people with a bit of gore. He cuts off their hands and their heads. And mm. in the um, making of, he said that in his mind, they were about to do uh, something very violent to a woman and that warrants mm. an a equally violent response from him. And that feels like what this film was doing as well. Like they were about to do something um, abs abhorrent. So Edward responded in kind and being being yes. the primal beast that he is, could actually do that. <laughs> yes, he could just like start bettering people with trees. And it is incredibly violent and incredibly wonderful because it's it's that kind of really, yeah, it's incredibly violent and incredible, but at the same time, you want this to happen because the movie has been telling you don't like Peter, Peter Stromer, he's no good, he's no good. Oh, wait, he really is no good and he's about to do something that is awful um, and there's no excuse for it. So you kind of want Edward to come in and do what he, and and do that. It's it's kind of a, the, the movie wants you to cheer and you cheer because it's like, yes, Edward, you go. <laughs> it's also though, as cathartic as it is for the audience, it's also a pivotal point for Gretel because these are the people that, although they're, you know, she even says like they're idiots, but they are the people at the end of the day that she's trying to protect. They're human. And mm. the troll that she would have happily killed if given the chance is the one that saved her. And it kind of yes. throws her entire worldview into a spin because the humans that she's supposed to allegedly want to protect betrayed her. And the monster that she was hunting was the one that protected her. And it's like, um, this isn't how my life is going. What the fuck do I do now? <laughs> yes. And that's the point where he actually tells her, I serve witches, isn't it? Like, um, yeah. So again, it's kind of that inkling of, well, okay, everything's turned upside down. This creature who I would have happily killed just saved me, but also told, now given me a piece of information that makes me question everything I've done up to this point as well. And so it's, it is kind of this wonderful um, moment that has this really kind of, I love, that when he sort of says that's one of my favorite points, favorite points in the movie because it is this really cool heartfelt, and it really does change the character of Gretel. It it really kind of puts her arc into full um, tilt because now she's like, oh, okay, I'm not a human. I might be a witch. So now I need to kind of figure out what that means. What I've been doing. Um, what I've been doing. What have I been doing with my life? I've been killing these creatures and I'm one of them. Um, and it kind of, again, just deepens the mythology and I love mythology in movies. I mean, give me all the dopey backstory, mythology, magic, everything like that. And just with those little lines that Edward is kind of um, a really important pivotal thing of the movie because yeah, he's, when you first meet him, he's kind of the witch's um, servant. And even when he's kind of, Ren is trying to 
get the kid off him because he's got like a cage on his back and the kid's in there being kind of trundled, trundled out of town. And he kind of looks at Renna and just kind of waves him off like, oh, God, I'm not going to deal with you. You're a pain, which kind of shows Edward's thing of, no, I will help. Something's happening there bad to that woman, but also she's a witch. I serve witches. They can't do that. Renna, I don't really care about. And it's kind of this interesting way of how Edward sees the world. And it's always done with these little tiny moments that I think are really amazing. I mean, this movie can be incredibly subtle when it wants to be and incredibly not when it wants to be like when Edward's like squashing people with his fist. Yes. And I I will say as well, like going back to our earlier point, that sequence of him just quite literally squishing all of the humans would Mm. not hold up anywhere near as well if he had been CGI. The massive puppetry that is Edward. Mm. I mean, his eyes are so expressive. His face, you you always know how he's feeling. There's never any question of uh, what, what is going on with this guy. I mean, she doesn't know mm. whether to be scared of him or thankful to him because then he's like trying to heal her and use herbs and stuff. And she doesn't know what to make of it. And at the same time, all of that is happening. Jeremy Renner's character of Hansel is having a very different experience because <laughs> um, he keeps he keeps running into Mia at the most opportune times. Like she's almost like stalking him. Though it, the, the film does a yeah, <laughs> though the film does a very good job of not making it feel like that. But it's amazing how many times, whenever he needs help, that she's like, "Oh hi, fancy running into you again." And obviously, it's just a neighborhood. Yeah, that that does make sense eventually. But at this point, you're just kind of like, "Oh, that that's weird." But then uh, she takes him to some healing waters as well, ironically. But she has mm. a very different method of getting him into the water than Edward does which is essentially to just take off her clothes and be like, why don't you come in as well? <laughs> yes, no, I love his line when he's like, it's, I think it's meant to be a pickup line, but because he's such, um, since he like, kills witches for a living, he doesn't necessarily have a more appropriate one. Because, oh, I remember I was in waters like this the last time I was uh, murdering a, a witch. Yeah. <laughs> he's just like telling it his old battle stories, which is not probably the most romantic moment. And all Kamiya can do is just like, okay, I just need to shut him up right now. So I'm just going to kiss him um in the water but it's it is it is a very different kind of experience but i think they do both lead to the fact that because when you don't know why Mia's is just constantly just following jeremy around around the forest but at the same time it kind of changes his worldview because whether he's falling in love with her or whether he's just liking her for that moment he's getting a different perspective of what magic is um and when he realizes what she is he kind of has to go oh hang on a minute and that's kind of around the same time he's realizing his um family history which he was very adamant never to talk about again he didn't want to know um and when he does it's that same realization of like oh things are different um again what have i been doing with my life um how do i need to sort of shift my focus into the fact that everything isn't as black and black and white as i kind of wanted it to be yeah because um they both end up reuniting at their old house and they realize that this village these problems they're all related to what happened when they were kids and they get Mm. attacked again and that's when we find out that mia is actually a white witch and we find Mm. you know we get this big explanation from the grand witch and she basically turns around and tells the story that we'd already uh, explained earlier. And that's when we get this oh. moment of, uh, okay, right. Well, everything we believed is wrong, <laughs> essentially, but they don't really have any time to deal with it because uh, Gretel gets kidnapped again. 
and uh, Jeremy Renner mm. gets thrown down a hole. <laughs> yes. And stabbed, actually. No, sorry, he gets stabbed first, which should have killed him. Yeah. But that's when, as I say, Mia magically shows up again and heals him. But this time she can't get away with just pretending like, oh, the waters have, have healing properties. No, this time she has to be like, <laughs> no, I healed you. I'm a witch, too. And yes. uh, yeah, so everything that they think they know about magic is very undercooked. There's white witches, there's dark witches, there's various different degrees of magical creatures, and they've barely scratched the surface, even though they think they're the experts, which realistically isn't that surprising, given that, truth be told, they've probably not actually done much when you think about the the geography of where they grew up, where they live. They've only really hunted local witches, for want of a better phrase. You know, this is the first time that they've dealt with a grand witch. Yes, because they even sort of said only only grand witches can do change back to a human form, but we've never actually dealt with one. So you're right; they're only really going. They're only really neighborhood. Um, they're very famous, but they're only really neighborhood witch hunters. But I do like the moment when they go back to the gingerbread house or the the, the witch's house, and they both say the same thing. It's like, oh, you got to be fucking kidding me. Yes, <laughs> it's um, it's kind of again. I do like the movie kind of gets lets them says the same thing just to remind yourself that they are related. And also that they're very close. Um, it's kind of just it's the, just when artists and uh, Greta walks up to the house after Jeremy's already been there. She's like, "Oh, you're gonna be fucking kidding me!" Yep. Like this thing again? <laughs> yeah, because because uh, that's that's the the cake house which happens right at the very end. Yes. So yeah, I do like that sequence as well. But I think before we talk about that scene, we have to talk about the big chunk of action that happens in between. With Gatling gun. Ga- Gatling gun. <laughs> a absolute menagerie of practical effects, witches that come from all corners of the globe. We actually get a lot of hand-to-hand combat and Jeremy Renner is allowed to win some fights, which is, you know, always nice. But also we get to yes. uh, some... Um, uh, 1980s almost style preparation montages where Mia blesses all of the weapons so that they're like wholly powered now and they lay mm. out razor wire inside the uh, forest so that any flying witches just get absolutely mullered if they mm. try and fly through. Um, yeah. it's, it's just a nice sequence. I mean, I, uh, I know some people, someone out there will write an article to say that um, this film isn't good enough because the Gretel character was for five minutes a damsel in distress that needed saving but Mm. at the same time jeremy renner spends the vast majority of the film needing saving by mia so i i I Mm. don't think it's an issue personally but it it is what it is at the end of the day Mm. and then we get this no no so i was just i was saying no i just agree with you um she does need saving but yeah everyone kind of needs saving at one point during this movie no one I do like how everyone is fallible. Like there's no kind of, they're never exactly, you can see them struggling. Like we, you said before, they keep losing fights because yeah, this is hard work and you can kind of see their weaknesses. Yeah. Cause at the end of the day, one thing that they, I think the film does really well is yes, they're witch hunters. Yes. They know how to kill a witch, but they're still witches at the end of the day. The magic might not directly work on them, but they're still super powered creatures that, and they're not easy to kill, even if you know how. Just because they've done it a hundred times, this could be the one time where one of them trips up and the witch takes advantage of that. And every fight feels like that, which is really difficult to do. So again, I really like that aspect of it. Yeah, especially considering all these witches are wearing really long skirts. And just to go back to think the beginning when they're fighting that first witch, 
Is that the Zoe Bell um, witch or is that another one? I can't. I don't know. Um, I know she's. Yeah, I know she's in, in there somewhere, but they're fighting this witch who's like scampering up like trees and these long, all these witches wearing these long skirts and having to do all this action in this kind of very heavy looking clothing. Um, and that even makes it more impressive. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to look it up now. I'm curious. Zoe, Zoe Bell portrays Tall Witch. Mm. Yeah, I have no idea which one she was, but anyway, <laughs> she was in it. <laughs> she was in there somewhere, and I'm sure she was doing something awesome. But yeah, all the witch fight scenes, especially that last one, because it just has so much effects, but all the witch um, action fight scenes are really well done, and you can feel the hits. I love the fact that whenever they try and take off on one of their brooms, Jeremy Renner's got like a cable and he's trying to stop them, but just like hits about five trees on the way. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, the last, that, that huge, massive free for all brawl is just great because Edward turns on the evil witches and decides that he's going to serve Gretel instead and manages to save her, um, even though he gets chucked <clears throat> off a mountain for all of his efforts. Um, but we also get Renner just absolutely going to town on some really skilled hand to hand combatants. And I'm pretty confident that a number of the witches there were also uh, from circus performances because uh, there's a lot of people there that they weren't effects. Because um, I remember mm. there's a there's a really big behind-the-scenes featurette on the Blu-ray, and I mm. remember being really impressed at how good some of the effects were and then discovering that that's because they weren't effects. <laughs> um, <laughs> like, you know, there's there's a particular, the one that always sticks out in my mind is the witch that's actually a Siamese twin. Um, there are actually two witches stitched together at their back. And yeah, uh, yeah I, some of that stuff just looks so good because they put so much detail work, but then to go from that to then having to have this big sword fight with the two people trying to fight Jeremy Renner. I mean, how do you even choreograph something like that? Because that, I, I think I can safely say you're not going to find that in another film. No, you're not. I mean, the only thing I can think of is Malignant's amazing uh, police uh, yeah, yeah, fight, yeah. Um, but which I don't, want to, I don't want to spoil exactly what happened with that one, but you just watched it going, how did they even choreograph, let alone do that again speaking of Zoe Bell um but this one yeah you're just watching some of the stuff and you kind of almost take it for granted because you're like oh yeah that's a thing and then you actually have to think about it for five minutes like wait how did they even do that that would have just taken weeks and weeks of shooting trying to get um it to look right and because of the, yeah you're right because a lot of it's in camera and there's probably like things added just to make it sort of smoother but you've got to sort of wonder what time and effort it came into those two, which is fighting Jeremy Renner. And you're like, how? <laughs> yeah. And, you know, every, the other thing that I really liked, which has nothing to do with the action is because this is a big gathering of witches to perform this sacred ritual, every witch has a distinct look and there, you can tell that they've come from all corners of the globe, like their culture, the different areas you know, they're, they're not all white witches either. They've got witches from all different ethnicities, which is not something you would typically see in these sorts of fairy tales of the time. And I love how inventive the costume department got with trying to make them look like they belong with the European folklore, but still quite clearly be inspired by stuff from like Asian folklore or African folklore. Mm. I, I really like seeing them all stood together. Um, 
uh, it's a shame that most of them just get blown apart by Mia on a minigun. Um, as as good yes. as that scene is, it's kind of like, oh, I really wanted to see what their powers were. <laughs> I know. I kind of want to like get five minutes of the witches kind of hanging out and celebrating and that kind of thing before they, they come in and destroy them. But um, you sort of see everyone, the heroes go, oh, that's a lot of witches. And then they go off and, and destroy them. But yeah, it, it's, it just goes back to what this movie is. This movie is so imaginative. Um, it's got so much imagination in it, just the way the witches look, the way they move, how the action scenes are shot with the witches. Um, this, these really little details, like the fact that there are wooden milk cartons with missing children pasted on the, on them is just, again, this movie is just filled with these amazing imaginative details that I would have never thought someone would think about to put in a movie and this movie does um and that is why it is an awesome movie because you can just watch it and just pick up all these other details that you never saw in the first yeah first run well it's like you were saying earlier about the evil dead comparisons i mean when jeremy renner first walks up and they they just sort of laugh at him because oh come on it's a you're essentially just another human with a gun you're not gretel and gretel's currently chained to a rock so what are you gonna do mm. and one of the uh, hench witches goes up and she's like oh please i can kill you and um, obviously they don't know that mia has blessed all of his weaponry so it counters all of their charms and i love that the way the timing just reminded me so much of an evil dead film where she mm. she stand there all the witches are laughing and then he pulls the trigger and her head just explodes <laughs> and, yes. and they're all like complete <laughs> silence for like a good few five seconds and he's yes. just like mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah you want to say that again? <laughs> yeah, all, all that was missing there was for Jeremy Renner to say groovy, and we would have had known full well where that inspiration came from. Oh, <laughs> uh, if he's in groovy or oh, this is my boomstick, I think I just would have probably just gone, I laughed very loudly and maybe clapped just because it would have brought me into that mood. Um, if in a movie kind of builds to like a reference and then does it, I get very excited. Yeah, and <laughs> like this movie would have, but I'm kind of glad they didn't. Oh, yeah, no, I, I, I think it was better not doing it, but. I this time around mm. watching it again um because i i re-watched all of the evil deads last year uh, during the pandemic mm. funnily enough because you know mm. time but um it was one of those things that i picked up on a lot more having re-watched them a lot more recently and mm. uh i also really like the sequence as well because uh i think it's edward breaks gretel out of her chains and she immediately mm. someone chucks her a crossbow and you actually get to see that jeremy renner isn't the only one that has these really cool toys like he has the guns, but her crossbow is like a machine gun crossbow, but also it can change its angle to fire sideways. And she takes out so many witches without even having to get close to them. And you just think, yeah, this is why the two of them are so feared and why they needed to do the ritual in the first place to kind of give themselves uh, essentially immunity to all their shenanigans. Yeah, it really does. I love that crossbow so much. Um, there's a reason why it comes back in the in the um, end credits um, when they just the illustrations of it because it is so cool. When you sort of realize that it kind of turns and she can they can shoot she can shoot in two different directions and take out two witches. It's just like yeah, that is, that is so cool. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like yes, yeah, more. It's like oh man, I wish we had more of that um, crossbow. It's like um, in. Oh, the uh, Del Toro movie with the robots, um, Pacific Rim, and you find out that he had a sword. Like, yeah. a twi- and they're like, where was the sword? You could have been using the sword like all this movie, and now you just bring out the sword. That is the crossbow for me. Um, but no, I love the weaponry in this movie. Um, I think it, it's so much fun. It's got a 
steampunk-esque um, quality to it. So when every single time, like you first see how big the guns are, you're like, oh, that is, that is a cannon. Um, and the crossbow and all those kind of little things. Again, it's just it just makes the movie more fun. Yeah, well, to be fair, even the way that um, Hansel is, uh, not Hansel, Gretel is dressed in this film makes me think of steampunk. I mean, there's a couple of comic books and I'm blanking on the names and I own them, <laughs> but um, there's a character... <laughs> If I remember, if I if I remember to look it up, I'll I'll, I'll retroactively add it back in. Mm. But that she could, she looks so much like so many steampunk hunter s characters do by the end of the film because of mm. the way she's uh, you know, ended up. And it's the same with Jeremy Renner. Like his uh, coat has so many little details just inscription, you know, inscribed into the coat. It's not just a plain jacket like most of the other characters are wearing. So they really do feel like they've come out of something different compared to everybody else yeah even within you're right even within this town they are made to look different act differently dress differently um but at the same time they still fit the world that they're in it's this really cool balance of a world that has very specific rules but also where anything goes i, I don't quite yeah don't know how to describe it. again it's very it's what evil dead does evil yeah. dead does the exact same thing <laughs> Uh, and then, yeah, the final scene, which again is is more action, really, is they have a big showdown. Well, first we see the payoff with the razor wire. A load of witches get decapitated, sliced to pieces, turned mm. into salami. Um, it's it's mm. great. But then we get a natural action sequence with Muriel, Famke Jansen's character, and it go it mm. goes on. Um, it's a very long sequence. Um, she yeah. uh, she she takes on Mia the White Witch, and uh, unfortunately, mm. the second that happens, I think everybody knew that Mia was going to die. So yes. surprising, no one really, you know, yeah, a, no, a grand dark witch versus a, a not grand white witch. It's pretty obvious yes. what was going to happen there. Um, yes, the helper character gets shot, and you don't know what's happened to him for a bit. And then she has mm. a fight with Hansel, and Hansel loses, and then Gretel shows up, and then Gretel mm. loses. And then, as we said right at the beginning, then they start, finally decide that maybe they should try doing it together, and that's when they start winning. Mm. But also, that's when the sugar sickness comes back, and just as Hansel is about to kill Muriel, he starts getting really weak because he needs his injection, and during the fight, the injection got chucked to the other side of the room. So you have this really mm. lovely, tense moment where Gretel needs to try and give him the injection before he just sort of passes out and becomes useless, mm. which I thought was a, a, it could have been one of those like, oh, of course, but I actually really like the way it mm. plays out because it's not such a debilitating problem that he has to do this every five minutes, but given everything that he's just done, it really doesn't surprise me that that's when he would need an injection, you know? Exactly. And they do set it up really, really nicely of, you know, I don't know what's happened to me, but ever since I was at the witch's house and she made me eat all that sugar, I now need to inject this or I or I die. Um, and so he's gone through a lot and there's been a lot of, it sort of conveys that this took a long time. This was not just within five minutes um, that he would definitely need um, an injection. And it, again, it just it shows the teamwork between the siblings and how close they are and um all that kind of thing so every single time they're in a, a moment they it all everything so goes no these two are close these two are siblings and they need to work together um and that's again just another thing and it works yeah and eventually they do succeed in uh taking muriel's head off which they do together 
um, which I, I really liked the way they found a way to have them both kill her so that not one of them got the glory of the kill. Yeah. And the other mm. thing that surprised me that I liked is even though we find out that Gretel is allegedly a grand white witch herself because her mother mm. was, that doesn't actually come into how they kill Miriam. She doesn't suddenly find secret powers. She doesn't turn into a Jedi. She doesn't start, you know, fighting magic with magic. They still mm. just kill her the old fashioned way and decapitate her. They do kind of tease that maybe that would happen in the not unfortunately produced sequel because she takes her wand and is sort of looking at it inquisitively and the wand mm. glows when she picks it up. Um, mm. But obviously we never got to see that sequel. And at the end of this film, we get that little tease of what their life was like post this moment. They get paid, they walk away, the credits start playing, but we get this lovely moment where they're now walking in a desert hunting witches. Jeremy Renner gives us another uh, voiceover out of nowhere, which feels a bit out of place by this point. Um, it does, yeah. But we get to see that the guy that was a big fan and hoped to be a witch hunter survived, mm. and he has now joined them and is like an apprentice witch hunter. But also, uh, Edward has decided Edward! to come and join them, <laughs> which... Uh, Feels a bit unfair for the witches that they already had to face Hansel and Gretel, but now they've got a troll and an apprentice. And you get to see them basically break into a different witch's hideout. And mm. yeah, try, trying to take on one of them was difficult. But now that there's four of them, I love the way that Edward just bashes the door in. Han Gretel uses the crossbow. The witch is trying to escape and they run mm. straight into Hansel and the other guy whose name escapes me just waiting for yeah. them outside. It's like, yeah. This is like a, a proper witch hunting unit. I was all aboard for the sequel with the four of them just going around fighting witches. I would have loved a sequel of them fighting witches. Um, I do, yeah, I agree with you. I do like the fact that she doesn't fight Muriel with magic. It's kind of an inner strength that she gets more than knowledge that she's a, a white witch. Um, and the fact that they've killed all the witches, so Edward's just like, well, I'm going with you now because I need a witch to serve, I guess. But Edward's awesome, and I love the fact that they're a little unit, um, kind of a growing family going out and taking out witches. But the fact that we got this movie, look, every movie's a miracle, but this one feels like an extra miracle, so the fact that we have this movie is great. <laughs> yeah, I do remember reading at the time that um, everybody was on board for a sequel and that there was one in the works, mm -hmm. but unfortunately, as we said right at the beginning, this film did so badly in, in America and, and it got so panned by critics that... The, mm. the sequel, I don't think it was ever officially cancelled. It was just like, oh, yeah, yeah, we're, we're definitely making one. And then mm. nothing was ever said about it again. <laughs> when you look up Hansel and Griddle, the, the sequel will always come up. And when you click on it, it goes, it's still in development. I'm like, we are never getting this. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it would be so weird if it just suddenly did get made like 10 plus years later. Yeah. Um, because although I know that is all the rage to make sequels to films that are way beyond the point of having a sequel made, but I can't mm. see it happening for this one. As much as I would be interested to see how they would do it, but in all honesty, mm. I don't think I'd want it because you guarantee that they'll make it pure CGI. If it does get made, it'll yes. be on a reduced budget, it won't be the same filmmakers, and it'll be um mm. mostly done in CGI. And yeah, I I think it'll just be a mess. I think I think you're right. It would be a CGI. You wouldn't get the same filmmakers. And the whole point is that you did have a Norwegian director. I can't remember who wrote it, but it's got this amazing um, European Scandinavian um, perspective 
on it. And I think that's kind of what give us, gives it this magic. I mean, this is the director who also made um, Dead Snow. I love Dead and, Snow. Um, yeah, and a really interesting movie called The Trip with Numa Rupas and I can't remember the other guy, but basically a couple on holiday who are trying to kill each other. So this guy has a very specific sense of humor and um, it shows in this so, um, movie. It is very evil. Just just to interrupt yeah. you, it was actually written by the director, Tommy Wakola. Oh, yes, Wakola. That's how you say it. So, yeah, it's definitely got his sensibilities all over it. Um, and if it was a number two, he would have to come back for it, but I don't know if they would let him come back. Yeah, that... It's like, you know how no expensive puppetry is? <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that is the problem, isn't it? Considering mm. it, it really annoys me because um cgi isn't cheap either they just i think studios convince themselves it's cheap because they 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 can essentially turn around to a studio and say oh make this in six weeks and however bad or good it looks we'll just take it because that you know there's Mm. so many films out there where people say i don't understand how this film is such bad cgi and i think the most famous one is the end of black panther where you have two very very rubbery squishy black panthers facing off against each other but most people don't know that that was literally made in like a month because the technical Mm. department that made that got no warning no advanced you know notice didn't get any real money for doing it they were just handed this and told oh yeah we need this by the end of december because the film launches in february whatever it was i can't remember now yeah um and it wasn't it was a very last minute decision to have that be the ending. Like there, I think there was something completely hmm. different shot originally. And that happens so many times because people just go, Oh, we'll just do it in CGI. It's easy. Um, hmm. Whereas a film like this, you actually have to have everything nailed in and locked down before you go. And there's no changing yeah. it. Yeah. That's why I think people prefer, I mean, yeah, CGI is a very, I think people sort of just do, dismiss CGI a little bit because they think it's easy, they think it's cheap, and I think studios who run studios think the same thing, but it's not. It is very complicated. It is very messy, and you should treat it like practical effects where you have to have things nailed down because the best CGI are the ones where you can tell that they had time to render everything, that they kind of knew what the layout was going to be, the blocking, everything like that, and it looks good. Um, Oh, and it yeah, does look good. I mean, you look at like the uh, Planet of the Apes movies, the new ones, um, and you can tell everything has been sort of nailed down because those effects still work. Um, The motion capture still works um, because you knew because everything was kind of how it was going to be. Um, And yeah, but when you get situations like that, it breaks my heart because Black Panther was such a great movie, and that last action set piece just kind of let it down. And I'm just like, no, it could be just good as the set design and everything else. Yeah. That was obviously let to be what it was, and they go, "No, we can just change this in two seconds." No, 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 you can't. It's hard work. <laughs> yeah, I mean that there was a cynical take um, that I, I read a while ago that basically said the real reason why studios love CGI as opposed to practical is because practical mm-hmm. effects have been around long enough to have a union that has uh, enforced work restrictions, and the people that make uh, CGI yes. effects animators do don't not. have one. So mm-hmm. yeah. But, you know, of course, I, I am not saying that, that that studios would ever prioritize making money over somebody's well-being. I mean, it's, it's not like that's ever been proven to happen. No, never. I, I, that is such a cynical thought, Scott. That would never happen. No. All the time. All the time. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, 
No, that is actually probably a really good thing because I do know, um, uh, and it, well, I do know the reason, uh, yeah, because animators don't have the same union and that would be also the CGI technicians and everything like that and artists don't have the same union and I'm pretty sure that the practical effects guys do have a union. So that would probably be a part of it. Anyway, uh, I think we're pretty much drawing to a natural close here. Is there anything you would like to add to the discussion that you have not been able to work into the conversation organically? Uh, no, because I tend to jump around the place. So I always forget about something I wanted to say. Um, no, I just, I think this movie is a lot of fun. Um, I think the witches are great. I think the fights are really fun, um, and imaginative. And I still don't know how some of those witches did those jumps with those costumes, but that is, I guess, the magic of, of movies. But no, this, I, this is a great movie and this has been a great chat. Well, thank you for coming on. It certainly was good fun. And I, I will also add, because uh, I completely forgot to mention this at the beginning, uh, for those listening, this was actually Lindsay's pick. I loved this film anyway. And uh, when we were talking and you mentioned this film, I was like, yeah, man, let's talk about this film. This is not <laughs> one I thought I'd be talking about maybe ever, but certainly not uh, in the first 20 episodes of the show. So I was very excited to, to uh, revisit this one because, as I say, this I love this film when it first came out and I, and I thought for sure everybody else was going to love it. I mean, it had all the stuff that I liked and the fact that it failed was just really depressing at the time because I wanted more films like this, not, you know, Twilight or whatever was popular at the time. Oh God, it was too. Um, it, no, you're actually, God, that you're at uh, Twilight was popular, popular at the time. Um, no, this is probably not the movie that people who go, oh, Action Addicts. This is not probably the first movie that they would think of, uh, um, but it is a really fun action horror. It's a hybrid of six different genres, and um, when you mix genres like this movie does, I'm usually all in because um, you're getting more than one thing, and this movie just balances them really, really well, and I think it's just you're having a lot of fun with the violence, the gore, the actual fights, the design. I mean, everything about this movie just works, and um, yeah, it's... I, I think it's got a bit of a cult following, but I don't know how, I don't know if this is a movie that people keep talking about. So hopefully um, people will talk about this movie and it becomes more of a cult movie because of it. Yeah, no, I agree. And yeah, I, I, I would agree with you that I don't think this is a film that many people that perhaps just like action films would watch. I also think the gore factor will turn off some people, but then at the same time, mm. if you're someone that really likes 80s films, why would the gore really bother you? Let's be honest. Um, it's got a very 80s feel to it. So yeah, this is um, this is what the 80s used to do for gore. Yeah, exactly. Um, but, but also uh, saying about, you know, this was kind of a depressing thing that the film flopped. It seemed to be a running trend at the time because although it's a different action genre, um, this was 2013. In the year prior, Dread had done pretty much the same thing. It had delivered a gory mm. sci-fi action film, uh, not quite as gory, but it, it had its moments. And that also flopped for no fault of its own, being squashed in between The Avengers and The Raid and then being told that it, it didn't do as well you know, financially. And it's like, well, it did really well uh, on home release but again much like this film doing really well in europe nobody cares it's did it do well when it opened no end of debate and that just ah uh, that just depresses me yeah it's always all about that opening weekend which i think is unfortunate to how movies get talked about now because it, well 
I mean, you did a whole episode on Spider-Man No Way Home, which that is the complete example of. It's not that it ruined um, movies because as much as I love Nightmare Alley, it, that was never going to make as much, never going to make money. Oh, oh um, dude, I watched Nightmare Alley the other night. I don't know if you saw my tweet, but... um. <laughs> No. So I watched two and a half hours of Nightmare Alley with my partner, who was very excited to watch, you know, the new Guillermo del Toro film. And it had so many actors in that we liked. And I got to the end yeah. of the film and I just didn't say anything. I just opened my phone and I put up a thing. OK, I've seen it now. Spider-Man No Way Home was not the reason that this film made no fucking money. <laughs> No, as soon as they said he's making it, I went, oh, this movie's going to make no money. And people sort of saying Spider-Man, I'm like, no, this is not a movie that's going to make any money um, at all. It is, especially that with that last line, mm-hmm, no. Um, and I was right. But it's, but movies are judged by their opening weekend. It's not about how movies do outside of the theatre. It's not... Um, it's not what they do, the cult that they get afterward. It's all about that opening weekend. And if Spider-Man No Way Home had a difference, um, which I know was never going to happen, this is a hypothesis that would, would never have happened, but if Spider-Man Home didn't have the colossal opening weekend it did, it would have been considered a failure. It would have been um, not the movie that everyone's talking about now, and it's always kind of that first weekend reaction. And movies need time to breathe. They need time to um kind of find their audience they're never going to find them in the first two days especially someone like Nightmare Alley Nightmare Alley is a movie that's got to kind of settle down then get into the hands of certain people who appreciate what that is doing um and get on its wavelength not the fact that this movie was never going to make any money at the theater to begin with yeah no I agree I mean I've had so many people it's it's (laughs) It's actually funny how many people message me if if they could be on the show after the Spider-Man episode. And it was like, <laughs> oh, what made you message? And it was not the actual this talk of Spider-Man. It was the 10-minute rant I went on about the death of cinema not being Spider-Man's <laughs> fault. And I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah, okay. That's fine. <laughs> yeah. Well, you made a good point because it just seemed a bit, it, just because it took over everything. Um, but at the same time, that movie wasn't not not going to. But anyway, that's getting off track and going on to your amazing episode you did with Mike. And um, Hansel and Grill didn't exactly have that same fate, but I think it was always going to be a movie, at least in the States, and a little bit, a little bit in Australia because I don't think it did that well here. But um, I think it kind of just got dumped in like a weird month. Um, it was always kind of going to be a movie that kind of lived on home video and streaming. It's that movie you kind of watch and go oh yeah that was actually real i'm actually really enjoying this why didn't i see it back in the day and it's like movies sometimes improve as they get older that's kind of movies have a weird life cycle sometimes well that and the fact that for people listening to this who are maybe on the younger side you also have to try Mm -hmm. and remember that streaming didn't really exist then the way it does now um there wasn't all of these different platforms that you could go and watch anything Mm -hmm. on the idea of digital ownership of films hadn't really taken off yet. So it really was go to the cinema or wait nine months for it to come out on DVD and Blu-ray. And Hmm. these days, I wonder if Hansel and Gretel would do a lot better because it would go straight to HBO Max in America or straight to 
whatever it is because there's so many of them mm. now but at the same time it's a very different world i mean the pandemic has forced everybody to reevaluate how they value films and i think that one of the things and not not to go back to the conversation but it's a it's a good one to prove the point of well films these days aren't doing as well because of the pandemic and that's why they're making no money yeah but then along came a spider and kind of blew that whole lie out the water people will still go to the cinema if you put something in the cinema that they want to see and this isn't me saying yeah, it- that the other films aren't worth seeing some of them are. I went and saw Belfast. That was amazing. I loved it. But mm. people really have a problem with equating a film not being seen as, a, as an audience out there saying this film is crap. It doesn't mean it's crap. It doesn't mean it's bad. It doesn't mean it's rubbish. It just means they don't want to pay the ridiculous ticket prices of most cinemas to go and sit down Mm. for two and a half hours to watch something that they don't know if they're going to like. That's what it boils down to. When you put something Mm. out there like Spider-Man, yeah, we all know we like Spider-Man. It's Mm. usually not depressing and the world's been depressing for the last two years. So I want to go see that. And I think that gets Mm. lost on a lot of people when you try and talk about cinema, when you try and talk about releases and the fact that the world has completely changed how we deliver content now because of COVID. Yeah, exactly. And it's not a new thing. I mean, going back to the 80s, which Hounds and Gretel is a very 80s-feeling movie, a lot of especially smaller studios were fine not even not making enough money in the cinema. They knew they were going to make their money on VHS and rentals. That's kind of where they knew their market was. And Hansel and Gretel definitely feel like it kind of fits into that that mold, but I think coming out in 2013 was a weird time because it was kind of streaming hadn't taken off yet, digital platforms hadn't taken off yet, but yet the video store was kind of dying and there was only the cinema or buying it. Um, And I think that's also maybe why it fell through the cracks. I I could be wrong. I'm more using an Australian point of view because that was definitely happening in Australia. It felt like there was a thing of where we had no rentals, we had no, definitely no streaming platforms at all. Um, and so there was literally, you had to go to cinema to see it and then buy it when it eventually came out on Blu-ray. Um, those were your only two choices back 10 years ago. And now the fact that we finally do, we finally caught up and finally do have streaming services, we can go, oh, yeah, I can actually see that without having to spend quite a bit of money to go see it. So, um Just out of curiosity, I thought I would look up the top films of 2013. And um, (laughs) Hansel and Gretel Witch Hunters was the 63rd highest grossing film that year, (laughs) as in it really wasn't. However, it was literally, just to put this into perspective, underneath Django Unchained, which released at the end of 2012, um, it, it, it was above the remake of Evil Dead, Bruce, Cam- uh, Bruce Campbell's Bruce Willis's Red 2 yeah. and Gangster Squad. But if I go all the way back up, there are so many big films here. But the top ones for, for 2013, Iron Man 3, mm. The Hunger Games Catching Fire, Despicable Me 2, Frozen and Man of Steel. So it didn't really have much chance of ever cracking it because if I keep going, you've got Gravity, Fast 6, mm. The Hobbit, Star Trek Into Darkness. You know, it, it's just, there were so many films that it had to go up against. I mean, even the lower down you go, you've got like The Wolverine and you just think, 
Yeah, maybe that was also the problem. It just released into such a crowded film year. Yeah, it really was. You forget how crowded that was when you said all those movies. I'm like, oh, yeah, that came out. That came out. Oh, yeah, that I did. I actually went and saw that. Yeah, it's um, that was an insane year. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I think that will do it for today. So thank you once again to Lindsay for joining us. I hope you will come back soon. Um, I'm sure we could find many more films to talk about if you enjoyed yourself. Oh, no, this was an absolute blast. I'd love to come back on. Um, this was, yeah, this was a lot of fun. Thank you so much for having me. That's all right. So we will see you in the next time. Thank you very much to everybody. I'll throw it over to myself to give you the outro, any bits of information that have come up since recording this and uh, tell you what we're going to do next week. So we shall see you later, guys. All right, there we go, guys. That was Hansel and Gretel Witch Hunters. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. I certainly enjoyed it, and I really enjoyed listening back to it all these weeks later because this episode is one that was kind of displaced. Uh, some episodes had to get moved around for various different reasons, and this one should have been out sooner than it actually was, but it's out now in all of its glory, and I hope you guys had a blast. It was a lot of fun chatting with Lindsay. She will be back, and thank you once again for agreeing to come on. And I will once again state, if you've never checked out the Schlockenor podcast, then you definitely should. Of course, if you want to check out her profile, her podcast, the links will be in the show notes. And if you're following on social media, she will be tagged. So if you're following the Action Addicts podcast on Twitter itself, then you can just go and click on it, and you, you don't need to worry about it. So... There you go. If you're not following us on Twitter, then maybe you should. So, what's coming next week? Well, next week we're going to be talking about a film that I was really excited to talk about because it is an actor that has been covered on this show previously, but I was very excited to talk about a solo film as opposed to one where he was sharing the spotlight with another big star. That is Antonio Banderas. And we will be talking about Desperado. And joining me, we will have the man known as Avar Stunts. If you don't know who that is, then you're probably not on Action Twitter. So, obviously, I will go into more details next week, but he, as you might be able to guess from his name, is an aspiring stuntman. He was an absolute joy to talk with. He really wanted to talk about this film, and I loved the film, so I had no problems with that. So that is going to be next week's episode, and you'll have to... Listen to it to find out more information, or you can bug me on social media and maybe I'll say some stuff. Or you can bug him on social media, the choice is yours. Desperado is one of those films that is uh, very 90s, uh, very Robert Rodriguez, very Antonio Banderas. It is definitely one of the films that I think made his career. Obviously, Zorro is arguably what just catapulted him into the stratosphere, but I think Desperado is also a film... That deserves some of that credit. So that's going to be next week's episode. On top of that, at some point, and I'm loathed to give an actual release date, you will start seeing some bonus episodes appearing in the future. And some of these, hopefully, will have other people on. But a lot of the time, they're probably just going to be me, uh, as are some of the main episodes uh, coming down the line, depending on time and availability of other people. But the bonus episodes may not be the same as regular episodes in the way that they are presented. So 
you will see what I mean when the first one comes out. And, uh, yeah. I'm looking forward to the reactions to some folks, and I'm curious to see what you make of it. Either way, look out for them. They won't be coming out on a Monday. They'll probably come out on a Thursday or a Wednesday or something like that. I haven't decided yet. They won't be every week. They'll be as and when. But, uh, yeah. There's a reason that they won't be part of just my normal Mondays. Sometimes it will just be that I want to put out more than one episode, and sometimes it's because the topic might not fit quite with just talking about a single film. But either way, look out for them. They're going to be a lot of fun, and I will see you very, very soon for Desperado, and I hope that you are all doing very well. Thank you very much for listening, and I'm just going to reiterate what I said at the beginning. If you're listening to us on something where you can rate, review, any of those sorts of things, I really need to get into the habit of mentioning it. That really helps, so I'd really appreciate it. But either way, that's going to be it for today. Thank you very much for getting into the action with me, and I will see you on the next one. On the action!